Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. It is always good to worship along with you, uh, to sing about our great God. Um, well, we've been doing something a little bit different for the last couple of weeks. Normally, uh, Pastor Mike is preaching through books, and he finished First Peter and is about to start Acts next week. And in between, we are doing, uh, we're focusing on three different topics uh, that are of interest, that were major themes in the book of First Peter, uh, and that we wanted to spend a little bit more time on. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Mike preached on marriage, and then last week he preached on sanctification, and this week I'm talking to you about spiritual warfare. I'm not sure how I got stuck with that one. Uh, the other two seem uh, maybe a little bit simpler, but here I am. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be good. Uh, the idea is to uh, focus on two biblical truths. Uh, two biblical truths is all we want. We want a true understanding of Satan and demons so that you will keep alert and an accurate understanding of the spiritual weapons that we've been given so that you will resist him. And this is a topic that is... Uh, that has some pretty wide views on on how we should actually understand it. I know, uh, I remember fairly vividly when I was in high school reading This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, a book that many of you um, have probably read or at least heard of, and that was really the first time I ever really considered spiritual warfare at all, what it meant or the activity that Satan or demons might have in the world, and... Um, uh, obviously, um, obviously, uh, Frank Freddy's book was a was a fictional account, but it it, it really opened my mind to the to the idea of uh, the spiritual influence, especially a negative one in uh, in my life. Uh, this this whole the whole idea for this particular sermon came from First Peter five eight, where we're told that the ad, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that is a really intense kind of statement. We're going to look at that a little bit more today. But our text for today is Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. You can go ahead and turn there. And uh, when you do, go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, I pray that you would help us with this passage, help us to understand it, help us to apply it, help us have a right view of what spiritual warfare is for your glory, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen. The, uh, the passage tells us, it starts off um, with a command. It's actually a passive command. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's really the focus of, of a lot of the passages on spiritual warfare is this idea of, of being strong in the Lord, of being able to resist Satan. And we're told in verse 11, and this is obviously a major theme for this particular passage, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, this passage is going to be sort of our anchor passage for the day, but we're really going to be in a lot of different passages. I want to give you as well-rounded a view of spiritual warfare as I can. And so there's going, to be, there's going to be a lot of cross-references. We're not going to turn to very many of them. I'll read them. If you're trying to write them down furiously, you can just come talk to me afterwards if you want, because there's going to be a decent number of them. But hopefully, it'll help make things clear. But right away, we get this, we get this understanding that we're, we're trying to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, the devil is one of the words that the Bible uses for for the person of Satan, um, who is uh, sort of the, the chief adversary of God. His name, actually, the word Satan, means adversary. And in John 12, 31, we're told that he's the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, we're told that he's the prince of the power of the air. And in Matthew 13, 19, we're told that Satan is the evil one. And one of the interesting things about Satan, and something I think a lot of people have in their mind, is that, is that God, you know, God, heaven is the realm of God, and hell is the realm of Satan, and they're both fighting over the earth. And that is not exactly what the Bible describes Satan as being. His domain seems significantly more earth-centric. He's a ruler of this world. He's a prince of the power of the air. And in fact, in Revelation 20, we find out that Satan is actually thrown into the lake of fire by God at, uh, at the end. Hell is, is not the domain of Satan where he tortures people or anything like that. Satan is a place of God's wrath where where Satan will, in fact, be suffering one day also. It's the earth where Satan is. And I want to give you some descriptions of his activities. The way this is going to go this morning, this is going to be somewhat similar to a gospel presentation in that, have you ever thought about this? The beginning of a gospel presentation is fairly frightening stuff. You're telling everyone about the perfection of God, but about their own sinfulness and how the wages of sin is death and how there's nothing that they can do. They cannot possibly be good enough in order to earn God's forgiveness. And so if you just stopped there, that would be a pretty, a pretty depressing message. 
But the second half is where the good news is that Jesus Christ has come, that he's lived a perfect life, that he's died as your substitute, and that you can have forgiveness from God by grace through faith in Jesus. And so the whole first half of this is going to be some frightening news. My guess is that Satan and his demons are more powerful than you think and have a greater influence in the world than you think. But there's going to be good news at the end. But what struck me more than anything else as I was studying for this was this phrase in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6 that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. It struck me that Satan is someone who is out for your personal destruction. Oftentimes when I think of sin, I think of sin as sort of this impersonal force. And that's not a weird thing. The Bible most often presents sin as something that's inside of you, something that's part of your sin nature, that sin has corrupted the entire world. And that is true, that sin is this thing to be avoided, that sin is something that is, um, well, I've been given a new nature because of Christ, but I still have the flesh, I still live in a fallen world, and so sin is this, this thing to be avoided. And what's, what's interesting is that even though that is true, the idea of spiritual warfare personalizes a little bit more. You still have your sin nature, and there is still sort of sin out there in an impersonal sense, but Satan is a person and has your personal destruction in mind. He has schemes. He is scheming. Makes me think of a basketball or a football coach drawing up a play after a timeout. You can just imagine Satan with his demons trying to figure out, okay, how can we harness temptation? How can we harness lies and deceit? How can we harness whatever kind of power we have to cause the greatest amount of destruction for the people of God? That is exactly what he is doing. He is plotting and planning harm for God's people. And that to me is, well, it's scary that someone is out there trying to hurt you. 1 Peter 5.8, the verse that, that got us here, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's creeping around. He's, he's looking for someone that he can destroy. Job chapter 1 is a pretty famous passage for how Satan is involved in the earth. And you see Satan come to the throne room of God and ask God if he can bring this calamity on Job. And at one point, in fact, in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, God asks Satan, where have you been? And Satan's answer is he's been going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. This is what Satan does. He's going around and around. He's prowling around. He's looking for someone to devour. About a month ago, I was at my parents' house. Um, I was there with uh, my wife and, and, and our children, and we were watching YouTube videos of hippos eating watermelons, uh, which I would highly recommend, by the way. Um, but uh, in the course of watching that, I remember that I had seen this video. National Geographic had done this video of, it was an incredibly high-resolution video of a cheetah running. 
and they had set up this long, like, quarter-mile track with a, with a camera on, like, a really fast conveyor belt, and they put the cheetah over there, and I don't know, put a stake over there or something like that, and said, go, and the cheetah's running, and the camera is right next to it the entire time with some ludicrous number of frames per second. It was, it was a really cool video. You can see every muscle in the cheetah move as it's running. Its head stays unnaturally still the whole time it's moving. It is, it is a really, really neat video. But that's just what I imagine. Satan, Satan's going to and fro on the earth. He's prowling around. He's seeking someone to devour. I just imagine him just running and running and looking and scheming and plotting for our destruction. Not only is he out for our personal destruction, but Satan is the original sinner. John 8, 44 says, he's the, says that he was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3, 8 says he has been sinning from the beginning. And have you ever really thought about what happens in Genesis 3? We know that angels are created beings. In fact, I think it's in Job chapter 38, verse 7, there's some reference to them, to them sort of singing and worshiping and sort of marveling at the creation of the world that they see, that they see God creating. And so they were created very early on in creation. And that's in Genesis chapter 1. And by chapter 3, Satan is already so fallen that he's on the earth trying to deceive Adam and Eve and lead them away from God. And that's that concept that Satan has been sinning from the beginning, that he was a liar from the beginning, that he's the father of lies, that he was a murderer from the beginning. It's a very fast turnaround for him. He was the original sinner. Satan is also full of deception and lies. I don't know if you've ever played the game Settlers of Catan, but if you want to see deception and lies, that is the place to go. Everyone constantly, no, I'm not about to win. He's about to win. Put the robber on him. I say that frequently, by the way, when I play. But imagine playing a a board game with Satan. I feel like he would be just the worst cheater ever. He is full of deception and lies. That is one of, if we, can talk, if we can talk about Satan as having a ministry, that is one of his primary ministries. He is in the business of lies and deception. Revelation 12, 9 says he's the deceiver of the whole world. That is a huge jurisdiction. He's some kind of deceiver exarch. Believers are enslaved to them, Galatians 4, 8 says. Uh, he binds the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. Deceitful spirits will preach a false gospel, 1 Timothy 4, 1 says. This is what he does. He lies. He deceives. He leads people away from God because of those lies and deception. And, in fact, not only is he full of deception, he opposes the people of God. Zechariah 3, 1 describes him accusing the high priests of Israel. Matthew 4, 6 says that he perverts God's word. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18 says that he hinders God's servants. 1 John 5, 19 says he holds the world in his power. And, maybe most frightening, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, in describing the eventual ministry of the Antichrist, describes that his power comes from, from Satan and that he has the power to perform false signs and wonders. 
Did you ever think about that? That Satan is a supernatural being with supernatural power. He has the ability to perform false signs and wonders. And in a passage that continually amazes me, Satan is even able to oppose angels. And we might as well turn to this one because this is so amazing to me. This is Daniel chapter 10. This is some Old Testament uh, knowledge right here. Daniel chapter 10. You don't turn to Daniel very often. It's right after uh, Ezekiel. But Daniel, the last half of Daniel, I'll tell you what, if you want to make yourself really uncomfortable on a regular basis, just try and preach through the last half of Daniel. That is a crazy, crazy book. And we are in the middle of it right here. And Daniel has this vision in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of this vision. So Daniel has this vision. He understands it properly. He sees like, wait, this is, this is a vision of conflict. This is a vision of distress. And he's upset about it. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, he says. He, he prayed, we find out. For three weeks, and there was no answer. And then finally in verse 10, he sees, he sees this vision, this angel shows up. And in verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what has happened what is to happen to your people in the latter days? For this vision is for days yet to come. I want you to understand what's happening here. Daniel had the vision. He starts praying. He prays for three weeks. Suddenly this angel shows up and says, Daniel, from the very first day you started praying, God heard your prayer. God heard it. He understood. He's like, you know what? I want to comfort Daniel. I want to explain this to Daniel. Uh, you know, give me an angel. You, go. Go to Daniel. Make sure, that he, make sure that he understands what's going on. Make sure that he's comforted. And in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is a reference to a demon. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And Michael had to show up. Michael came and busted some heads, and now I'm here. And that's the only way it worked out. I was stuck. Can you think about what this is saying? That, that you can pray a prayer, that God himself can hear your prayer and dispatch an angel to go take care of that. In my mind, it's done. What else is there to do? God sent an angel? All right then. Prayer answered. And yet three weeks later, Daniel's sitting around. What's going on? I don't know. We're going to get any prayer answered here. And the angel shows up and he was, he was hindered. He needed help for it even to work out. I just, I cannot hardly even believe that Satan and his demons have that kind of power. 
that is more powerful than I was giving them credit for. And it's a frightening thing that that's who our adversary is. And in Ephesians chapter 6, that is exactly who it says we are wrestling against. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, verse 12 says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are all references to Satan and demons. Satan is out for our personal destruction. He's the original sinner. He's full of deception. He opposes God and the people of God and even the angels of God. And this is who we are doing battle against. I told you. Kind of depressing news at the beginning. But the news gets better. And in fact, the way that we're going to get to better news is uh, through the Old Testament because this was, this was just very interesting to me. I want you to think about the Old Testament and what you know about demonic forces in the Old Testament. I think you'll find that most of the instances that you think of in the Bible of any kind of interaction with demons, they happen in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we know from Deuteronomy, this is very interesting, that that the pagan religions around Israel were actually a form of demonic worship. It says in Deuteronomy, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal is one of my favorite passages. And have you ever thought, what what were the prophets of Baal thinking? Why is it that they were making this sacrifice? In my mind, if you're worshiping a false god, you're worshiping nothing. There's just just nothing. So how was it that they ever expected fire to come down from heaven? What were they thinking? I think this sheds light on that. In all likelihood, Baal worship was, was some kind of actual demonic worship. And we already know that Satan has the power to perform false signs and wonders. And so it's very likely that these pagan religions in the Old Testament could truly have seen something that would qualify as supernatural. And that's what gave them confidence to pray to Baal to have fire come down. But that's what pagan religion was. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, that that's actually the same in the New Testament. And, and this I didn't, I either didn't know it or totally forgot it, but I, did, I, I think I just didn't know. There is no instance in the Old Testament of a demon being cast out of a person. You don't see that in the Old Testament. Demons aren't cast out like they are in the New Testament. The best example you get is when Saul has this evil spirit and David plays the lyre in order and the spirit goes away, but that's temporary. The spirit comes back, and in fact, Saul is kind of a tragic figure in in the history of Israel. But you just don't ever see that happening. And so it really is amazing when Jesus shows up on the scene casting out demons. 
Mark 1 says they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. This kind of power over demonic forces had never been seen in the history of the world. No one had ever done it. And I'll tell you, I, I, I have a Friday small group, and I'm, I, I've been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. Casting out demons is the first miracle that I get tired of. Yeah, yeah, like he did that again. Like, when are the interesting ones going to happen, though, right? Let's get some walking on water or Mount of Transfiguration or, like, something cool. This had never happened before. This was amazing power by our Lord. And this is the source of our hope. That Jesus has power over demonic forces, that all authority has been given to Jesus. And so when we're told in Ephesians 6 to be strong in the Lord, to withstand and to stand firm, when 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, watchful, and to resist Satan, James 5, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. This is the source of that hope. Complete, effective triumph over, over evil spirits spirits is possible because of Jesus Christ. And that's how we live. We don't have to we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry about the influence that Satan and his demons can have over us because we are in Christ. James 5:7 is an amazing verse in light of everything that we just heard about Satan. We're told resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That is amazing. And that is because of the power of Jesus Christ. What are all of the spiritual weapons that God has given us to resist Satan and his demons? We've already hit on this one, but more than anything else, God has given us himself. Romans 6.14 says, Sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. 1 Corinthians 3.16, one of my favorite verses, says, you do, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We already know, we know from other passages that we have, that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. But it's this, it's this really beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians 3 of being the temple of God. In the Old Testament, the temple was a really big deal. And they knew that God, that they knew that God was omnipresent, that he was everywhere, and yet his unique and personal presence was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And we don't have a temple anymore in a physical sense, but we are the temple because God is still everywhere. He's still omnipresent, but his unique and personal presence indwells every single believer. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Again, think about how much more comforting that is because of the ministry of Satan being primarily lies and deception. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. God's Spirit dwells within us. We are the temple of God. We, have been, we are being guided into all truth because of what we have in the Spirit. I think this answers definitively whether or not a believer can be possessed by a demon. Of course not. It'd just be impossible. 
How can anyone who is the temple of God, who has been indwelt with the spirit of truth, be somehow possessed by the father of lies? Another weapon God has given us. We mentioned that. We mentioned angels already, that Satan does oppose them. But angels, part of their ministry is ministering to the saints. Uh, Hebrews 4 Hebrews 1.14 says angels are ministering spirits out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Psalm 91.11, this is where the idea of having a guardian angel comes from. It says God can command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. God has given us himself, he's given us angels, and in our passage today, he's given us this armor. And this is a pretty famous passage for resisting the devil. And it goes through most of the basic equipment of a Roman soldier. And that's what you can envision here, uh, uh, a Roman soldier. If you have a hard time envisioning, like, what exactly do Roman soldiers look like? Maybe a soldier of Gondor would work. A stormtrooper might be okay. I'm not sure. But it's just a soldier. This is normal soldiery garb. Belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, sword, helmet. One of the first things that he's given us is truth. The belt of truth. We know that God cannot lie in Titus 1-2. John 16-6 says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5, 6 describes the Holy Spirit as the truth. And we are, we've already read that he's the spirit of truth to guide us in the truth. And John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And that is, again, a comforting thing. When our adversary is someone who is so full of lies and deception, we know that we have the truth. We have the truth here. We have the truth dwelling inside of us. We have the perfect example of truth in Jesus Christ. And we can be sure that all of that is actually true because it all comes from God who cannot lie. Truth will help you resist the devil. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, is something to help us. And that makes perfect sense, don't you think? If we're going to resist Satan, if we're going to resist the influence of demonic forces, righteousness, Christ-likeness, holiness, separation from sin is, is exactly what we need. He's given us readiness to preach the gospel. This is a fascinating one. This is the hardest one to wrap your mind around when you read it. In verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I think the idea is that part of the armor is this, is this readiness to preach the gospel. An understanding of what the gospel is and being prepared to declare the gospel to anyone. Romans 10.15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Faith is a shield. 
First John 5, 4 through 5 says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that goes right with the idea of, of this helmet of salvation. That if you want to resist the devil, if you want to have victory in this battle that we're fighting, you have got to have faith in Christ. You cannot have victory over Satan. It is, it is impossible to have that kind of victory unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's given us the Word of God. That's the, that's the sword, the sword of the Spirit. It's the only weapon that could be qualified as an offensive weapon here. Everything else is very defensive. Did you notice that? And even the commands that we're given. We're told to be strong, withstand, stand firm, be sober-minded, watchful, resist. All of those are these ideas of, of not this offensive attack against Satan, but defensively standing your ground, standing firm, and being empowered by God's Spirit to thwart whatever Satan throws at you. Prayer is the last thing that's listed. It's not a piece of armor per se. And yet we're told to pray at all times. And you know what's interesting about prayer? Look in verse 18, or at least the prayer that's directed here in Ephesians 6. In verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of of the gospel. Prayer is important, but sort of the specific focus of prayer here is praying for others. That is a key component in the church on the whole resisting the power of Satan is individuals in the church praying for other individuals that they would stand firm, that they would be bold to proclaim the gospel. They would resist the devil and that the devil would flee from them. This is what you have been given. We have a frightening adversary. And yet, God has given us himself. Angels truly minister to us, and he's given us so many things. Truth, righteousness, readiness to preach the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. All of these things help us to resist. And if you're feeling the weight of sin in your life, if you're feeling like, like someone really is scheming for your destruction, it's entirely possible that that is an accurate assessment of your life. But there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. He has given you what you need in order to resist. If you, are, if you do not have faith in Christ, that, more than anything else, is what you need. You need to come to God, turning away from your sin and turning to God in faith to believe that Jesus died for your sins, to trust that his sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for those things. Faith in, faith in Christ 
is what will reconcile you to God, forgive you, and equip you to resist. For those of you who are already believers, you have many things that you can focus on. The Word of God, the truthfulness of God, righteousness and Christ-likeness. This is what you have been empowered to use by the Holy Spirit. So use it for God's glory. In closing, I want to read something from earlier on in Ephesians. This is a great passage. I think it perfectly complements what we were talking about. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what it tells us about the struggle that we have, not just against sin, but against the adversary, against Satan. God, thank you that we have hope in Jesus Christ, that you have given us yourself, that you have given us angels to minister to us, that you have given us this armor, the truth, your word, righteousness, faith, salvation, and prayer. I pray that we would take those things seriously. And rightly battle these evil influences in the world and in our lives. Thank you for the knowledge of who Satan truly is. And thank you for the hope we have of overcoming him. I pray that we would resist the devil and that he would flee from us for your glory. Amen.